All right. Anyways. <clears throat> That's cool. Anyways. Anyway, welcome to The Art of Murder. My name is Julie. I'm Jenna. And uh, this is a podcast about art and murder. Yes. And Any fo- all forms of art and murder. We've said that so many times. Yeah. You know what? I get it. Let's just... Just cue it. That was good. Yes, that That was was really good. That was perfect. (laughs) So things are good. Things are good. Yes, still really busy. Yeah, tired. I wasn't offered a coffee, so I'm not gonna say anything. But do you want cider? I made homemade cider. Oh, that's true. Would you like homemade cider? That's that's definitely on the table and nice and piping hot. Yes, it's the first cider of the year. Can I have it? Absolutely. Okay, then we have to stop this podcast. No, that's fine. no. We'll just keep going. Jenna's getting up and she's serving me. She, again, Jenna still has a broken toe, and I'm sitting on the couch, and she's getting up and she's serving me the uh, apple cider that she made by homemadeness of the scratch. And it's totally unfiltered, right? Now. And I'm I like it unfiltered. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is there little pieces of aluminum in there that I should be worried about. Aluminum? No, definitely aluminum? not. <coughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> All right, Jenna. You know what? I. Well, hang on. Are you good? Yeah, I'm alive. All right. You know what? Sometimes that's all. That's all we could count on. <laughs> I know. That's that's kind of my how to how to gauge whether the day is good or not. I'm alive and breathing. That's right. I say every day you wake up alive is a good day. Yes. I think that's a really good way of measuring <clears throat> happiness, too. Unless you're a piece of shit serial killer, then. Or just a piece of shit in general. Well, like, yeah. oh my god, as a side note, let's talk, it's going to anger me, but. Let's talk about sex, baby. Yes. What? Did you hear what Doug Ford wants to do? Oh, oh well, I wanted to bring that into your story. When you just told me what you would, you're going to touch on, she did not tell me her story, but you were just going to touch on, I was like, there's <laughs> a good segue into bringing into the, and Dexter thinks um okay well first of all you're gonna yeah tell us what what he's saying so unfortunately uh this past uh october uh the residents in ontario decided to elect a uneducated crass very um ass backwards trump like politician named doug ford he's a piece of shit he is conservative whatever you know i'm not no i am shitting whatever if you're a conservative you probably won't listen to this anyway um and well, maybe you will. I, I mean, if you are, let's it's just close-mindedness. And that's what it is. And that's him specifically. That's not for all conservatives. No, no, I agree. I, I do think there are, like, there are real progressive, like, conservatives out there who do feel that we need, we need big change when it comes to our LGBTQ community who, who want to make change for yes. the next generation and income and rental property rental issues yeah, and yeah. housing issues but what like, did he do jenna <laughs> tell me he decided to say that there is unscientific that that gender identity is unscientific and just a theory so he want he has put into uh, so this weekend this past weekend there was a three-day um progressive conservative uh convention that happened and they all agreed to p- 
pass to, to pass debating a resolution stating that gender identity does not exist and to take it out of like schools and learning about it yeah um yeah there's so much proof to back up so dexter was telling me he's like no no i don't think he's saying take it out of schools he's saying just teach them later i'm like no dexter this one it is he's saying to take it out Mm -hmm. like it doesn't exist exactly like people who uh, i identify with a specific gender anybody anybody if you are let's say born with with female genitalia and you identify as a female then that's what you identify as but you're telling me that throughout history how much proof do you need that some people are born with a vagina and they identify as male like you it's it goes to show that it's 2018 and we have come so far that it takes one jackass in power to ruin years and years and years of of advancements in in, in knowledge and in um like yeah uh, you know you know what i mean i it makes me so enraged like what's next like we, you can't be gay you can't yeah. what dye your hair what are we gonna become nazis are we gonna freaking start saluting him like i know that that seems extreme but it that is just a stepping stone you we are seeing tell. it in the states we're seeing so much white supremacist um supporters come out in the masses and and go i don't fear the reprimand that will come my way so i'm just going to voice and i'm going to take action and it's so hateful and it's so hurtful to what we need and let people fucking be i know and i hate to say it i said it last week um listening to this ologies podcast and their topic of the apocalypse this way of thinking is going to hurt mankind from us being able to survive and i know that seems silly the fact that politics have anything to do with the safety yes. and yes. Um, uh, lifeblood of Earth and its human beings. Does that sound cheesy? Whatever. No, it, it shouldn't even be a topic no. that they discuss. <clears throat> Let's talk about how much you're fucking making money wise. And you're cutting everything, too, which is a everything. like Mental fucking health care. But then, yes. <clears throat> and then that you pisses go, me no. off. It's very aggravating. And it's like I minimum wage is capped. Can't talk about it. Okay. Um, All right, let's get, let's, but, let's get into it. Okay. Yeah, segueing into the conversation about gender identity and the LGBTQ community, they're still struggling. There's still such a fight for representation and, and understanding and their fucking basic human rights that they absolutely 100% deserve. Yes, and I want to get to a point where it's not they. Yeah. You know, there's no they. It's us. It's us. We're a unit. We're. And we're, I was telling, you know, I was telling... Like, um, well, Dexter, this too, with this kid, skid, kids education, um, like let's get to a point where it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It, it's just, it just is. Yeah. Like you don't have to say like, uh, I don't know. No, no. You know what I, I mean? Like, yeah. like the history is always important. History of everything. Like mm-hmm. we talked about too, you know, uh, black history, indigenous history. Yes. Um, like in different areas, not just like African black history, Caribbean history, Absolutely. like all those things. But so the history part of, of, you know, all the parades and the prides and stuff like that, that will always be a thing. Cause I think it's wonderful, but let's get to a point where we don't have to be like, listen, some, some women like women, some men like men, some, you know, like, yeah it would be lovely and you know i i would love to raise my child in that where it they never have to question yeah 
like they what's can, going on and they can be who they want to be yep uh it's i mean it, the sex education curriculum that i grew up with was the 1998 one and it was very harmful it didn't teach me about consent you know there's i don't a, even remember being taught about homosexuality at all nope I learned about my own reproductive organs, which by that time I already knew because I was well into two years of having my period. You know, the only thing that I got, I really not even took away was we watched sex videos about how to put a condom on a banana. Like it was not even remotely acceptable. And it hurt. It hurt my sexuality as a woman, because I didn't know to protect myself, I didn't know to respect my own fucking body, that my breasts and my vagina were mine. And when I said no, it meant no. See, I think I had a pretty good one. I like I I mean, I don't remember it fully, but I think it was very um, which is funny because I went to a French Catholic high school, but the girls and the boys were allowed to be in the same class for sex education. And I, we I mean, I've, maybe too is what my parents and everything too. Like it's always been very, um, oh, well, I said my parents, my mom, you know, very open and, uh, in that sense of like, my mom also, she was a, she taught like, me about STIs primarily. Yeah. Like that was a big part of her I guess in sex education they did too. And then in French we have this song called C'est mon corps, c'est mon corps, c'est n'est pas le tien. Tu as le tien, donc laisse-moi le mien. Ooh! <laughs> Which just actually, and it was a super cheesy video, probably from the 80s, and they showed it every year. And every year, like the next, like I don't know if it was in grade five or grade six. Let's say it's grade six. When you're in grade five, you know that in grade six you're going to be watching that video, and it's yeah. almost like you can't wait. Oh. It was amazing. And they talked about, like, I think it was the same one that they talked about, like, wearing pads and this and that and like oh how you think it's gonna show but it won't show it's brilliant if oh I could, my god i want to see that i'm gonna Let's see I'm if gonna we can youtube it but yeah the song it. is like it's my body it's my body it isn't yours <gasps> you have your body so leave mine alone except it kind of rhymes in french oh my god it's gosh. about like men or strangers or an older man touching you in touching you you have a circle around you yeah they're not allowed in your circle circle unless you circle dot dot now i got my cootie shot oh that's yeah. the only thing that i knew to protect myself oh. against cooties yeah nice or just anything in general but that's amazing no that's good that like i didn't know i i mean i was unaware you need to see this french video and then you would have been a-okay yeah. with that if your school had a translated version of that let me tell you, your life right yeah. now, Jenna, would be different. Probably. It would be like a whole new world. No thousand dollars worth of therapy bills. <laughs> you probably still have those. Yeah. We're working on it in therapy. Mama knows not how to. I don't know. I, I <laughs> that was, like, I, I was going to continue, but I'm like, then it'll sound mean to your, towards your mom. And I just, you know, how we always joke that's mom our parent issues parent issues and that's what it is i want to kind of go off topic here just to cover a few things um first about itunes i'm so so fucking sorry yeah. about this unfortunately uh it's out of our hands we're about two episodes behind as of this one releasing on iTunes on iTunes which directly relates to our ability to have it on Spotify and in other apps podcast apps we are unfortunately only on uh, theartofmurder.podbean.com and Google Play the art of murder just google it 
but we're I'm really really trying hard I'm working with Apple right now I contacted customer support yesterday so hopefully they get back to me I put a ticket in yeah it's because we changed the um we switched our hosting from we are no longer with Podomatic they were a great company to work with I was just gonna say when Mm -hmm. you were saying that I'm like I didn't want to be like it's not because we got in Mm -mm. trouble or anything it's just because we switched the hosting and we got a better deal um and it was more manageable for me on Podomatic to work with uh, our WordPress site. So we do have a website. Uh, you can go to theartofmurder.ca. It's not, unfortunately, because of the iTunes issue. I didn't get around to doing website stuff. Yeah, We're, st- we're going to definitely be working on it. There's going to be tons of content. I've set up set it up so in the future, if Julie has some work that she wants to throw up on our gallery, you can purchase it, um, which her work is phenomenal and really, really stunning. Uh, she's actually my art teacher, and I trust everything she <laughs> Jenny, fucking says. your work is stunning as well. Thank you. I'm, you know, I'm not at the level yet. I don't want to call myself All an artist All you need is, a con- is confidence. I'm getting there. I don't have confidence, but yeah, I, you just, do. I just say it anyway. You do too. No, I fake it. Fake it till you make it. But don't dream it. Be it. That's from Rocky Horror Picture Show. I oh, always nice. think about that. Like, don't dream that you're going to have confidence. Be com- just Whether you think you could do something or not, you're right. <laughs> dare to dream, but also dare to do. That's my sign off from my email. So if you ever get an oh, email from me. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. I like that. I didn't make it up, but. I don't have one. Yeah. That's, That's okay. it. We'll get you one. That'll be ambient toast. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm going to change it now. But, but yeah. Sorry. But so people who are listening either on iTunes, at this point, it. Everything's all set up and fixed right now. Yes. So we have no idea how many episodes we are behind no. on iTunes, but it's very exciting. And I'm glad you're back and listening to us. Thank you for sticking with us. Now yeah. enjoy the show. If you would like to exit, exits are located here, 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 and here. Barf bags are under your seat. Flotations device. No, barf bags are in front of you. In front of you. <laughs> Flotations device. It's under your Fuck, seat. Fuck, I said it wrong. Flotation okay. devices. You're not a flight attendant. Nope. Did you, have you ever been a flight attendant? Fuck no! I, I hate flying. Oh, do oh, oh I I hate it. I hate. I'll do we, it. How are we gonna do this with tours? Then are we just gonna train it? <laughs> <laughs> let's just try to get this up on iTunes. That's, yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I sorry. Hoop Dinesh. dreams. Hoop dreams. Delete all this part. Right. Okay. Here. Yeah. We can't be cocky. No. We, we want to be positive and think about good stuff. Yes. But we don't want to sound like as if. True. Anyway, but. We got a listener in Spain. We do. We have we have a listener in Spain. Did we say? I think we said last time, or did we? No, Sweden I don't even think we. In Australia. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shit, yeah. I know. So thank you to those uh, awesome people out in Australia, Sweden, and Spain. Yeah, that's amazing. Very like, exciting when it, we see that on our yeah. Who listen to us? Thank you, Jiggy, in the back office. Spain surprised the shit out of me. I was not expecting that. Um, tu eres muy caliente. <gasps> as my horrible Spanish. That's amazing. I don't think it even works when you say it in Spanish, but yeah. it means you are very hot. Oh. But I think it's like actually spicy. Rojo caliente. Sure. I know that. It's hot, hot, but I think it's it spicy. Is. is it hot and spicy? I don't know. Where did you hear that from? Uh, when I went to Spain, mm-hmm. that was the only line that I learned before I left, but it was like <laughs> translated. Like I was a teenager. I was 16. I'm like, what if there's this hot Spanish guy? And so... My friend looked it up. She goes, you say this. I asked, I also used to know how to say, would you dance with me? So if oh. I went to a club, I could yeah. ask somebody, but I forget that now. Whatever. I didn't find my husband there. No, no. you found him here. I did. Well, speaking of husbands, I, before I get into my story, can I just, I just want to say one thing. 
my story talks a lot about uh, police treatment of the LGBT community. And I just want to say that not all police officers are like this. There are amazing, amazing police officers out there who are doing really, really hard work. Uh, They dedicate so much time, effort, their lives. They sacrifice so much to protect us and serve, like literally protect and serve. So thank you. Thank you to all of our policemen and women out there. who few shitty ones who ruin it for everybody. Yeah. And And those are the ones that get highlighted. Yeah. That's, and that hurts. Like the one does not represent the many. Yeah. And I think we often super focus on the negative person and not the yes, positive of people. Course. Of course. It's oh, just the it's way just our the brains way work. Yep. Anyways, bottom line is police officers are wonderful. And today I'd like to tell you a story that does heavily involve the police and their, um, how they handled a certain case that could have probably been solved. All right. Um, San Francisco, world-renowned for being a progressive city and having one of the largest LGBTQ communities. It all started around 1850 when it became a mining area for gold. Many people of different races and cultures swarmed to strike it rich, helping develop the multicultural city. With a higher population of men, it wasn't uncommon for them to cross-dress, attending masquerade balls where some of the men would actually assume the role of females until cross-dressing was outlawed in 1863. Oh, This could explain the rise in underground LGBTQ bars and nightclubs, but another key factor that helped develop the Bay Area's gay community was during the 1920s. The U.S. Navy was discharging known homosexuals at main city ports, San Francisco being one of them, and it was like a big one. And during World War II, the San Francisco Moral Drive, which was like this group of people who were like, we're going to drive good morals, uh, consisted of military patrols. They carried out raids specifically targeting gay bars. Their goal was to, quote unquote, protect servicemen from homosexuals. Yeah, because it was a disease. (laughs) Fucking bullshit. It was a disease that you could catch. (laughs) So stupid. Clearly. This kind of barbaric bullshit continued until about the 1950s. So... Beat culture. Do you know what beat culture is? Have you heard that term before? Okay. Uh, So at this time, this beat culture was growing rapidly. Uh, For our listeners out there, basically it was a group of people uh, who would go against the grain of society of what was mainstream. They believed in sexual freedom, human rights, freedom of expression, kindness, and togetherness. And it was actually formed by a small group of artists and literatures, literaries, literaries, thank you, uh, like Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Um, I got to tell you, I, this story took me all day to write because I just went down a rabbit hole of research and yeah. it was fucking amazing. I've known about Allen Ginsberg, but I've never read any of his poetry. Yeah. His poetry, his poem, Howl, has a lot to do about um, the pushback from society and his time uh, coming out of the closet and finding himself. It's it's a beautiful poem. I've only read half of it, just so I'm very upfront and honest. <laughs> but the beat culture itself was so influential yeah. during this period of time. Um, yeah, I went down, a, I, I love, and I love it. I love when I have to, I go from one thing to another, to another, to another, just absorbing all I of this know. fucking cool information. I know, and that's cool what you want to do too. That's what, like, for me, what I was saying, every now and then I go, I get over here, 
by the way, I'm pointing at a different area. And then I'm like, shit, I gotta stop. I gotta focus. Yes. Because I only have, you know, and you only have so long to say you the do. story to you. And that's the, I'm trying to condense, because there is so much information about yeah. the, like, the uh, West Coast um, gay community and and how important they were to the entire world's push for basic human rights. Yeah. Um, so... It was because of this rebellion against middle class values with the beat culture group that bonded them with the LGBTQ community. They were also fighting with this idea of this old fashioned Adam and Eve way of living. And and the beat culture people just also thought it was bullshit. So they found a common ground for each other and worked together as a full force. Um, uh, And one of the things was because they banded together, they were able to influence a lot of politicians because there was nice. they were voting out yeah. masses. Yeah. They were proactively looking for change and big changes were coming, mostly due to their activism and yep. not because of politicians speaking up against it, which is a huge it's a it's amazing to think of that people actually ma- made change. Yeah. We don't and that's when you get to come together. Yes. It's more than one person. Come together right, right now. now. Over bigotry. Bigotry. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I was trying to say, I'm like, what are we, how are we going to end that? <laughs> um, so I cr- made a list of things that they they did to really help uh, the San Francisco uh, gay community out. And some of the big, big changes that may not seem influential to Canada and our community, but... Um, subtly underneath this underground world it did so in 1962 the tavern guild was created and this tavern guild actually spread all over the world as it was getting bigger and bigger yeah it was a small group of people who were bar and nightclub owners and bartenders who were finding that they were losing so much money because of these police raids they created uh like a line and a network so they would call and say hey there's a raid coming if a bartender was fired because police arrested them, th- this tavern guild would pay for their wages. They would give them a home and a place to stay and food and stuff. They really just worked together. And it became a world organize like a world organization of, until about 1995 when it sort of happily to say it wasn't needed anymore we were coming to we were becoming a more progressive society where police weren't doing this so that's a big thing uh published in life uh, life's magazine in june 1964 an article stated gay san francisco it decreed san francisco as the gay capital of the united states which became a people started flocking there thinking uh, thinking that it was a safe place and it was um and it was so that that article launched this national um idea that san francisco was the gay capital of the united states and it stuck the society for individual rights was formed in 1965 they created a magazine called vector that focused on positive change and ideas for the lgbt community it include topics on community building, public identity, legal and social services, which helped millions and millions of residents. And it bled because people would take the magazine back home, let their family read it, their friends read it. And it provided so much critical information on how they can protect themselves at in their homes legally, um, how to find networks in other areas of the world. Um, Vanguard 
an LGBTQ low uh, youth low income organization considered the first gay liberation group in the United States was created in 1965. It helped launch so many uh, more activism groups. Um, one of the very first trans riots took place in the U.S. in 1966. This helped create the first peer-run support and advocacy organization called National Transsexual Counseling Unit in the world. It is the largest trans support group in the world. Um, The Sexual Freedom League was created by Margot Ryla and Frank Esposito in 1967. Uh, The Castro, which is a neighborhood in San Francisco, was really becoming developed at this time and uh, they they identified themselves as a safe refuge for the LGBT community. There was so many bars and under and nightclubs popping up as a safe place. Yep. They were targeted a lot, but then this like tavern guild group were trying to protect. And and all of this comes from the people, the people fucking fighting and saying this is not Beautiful. right. We support you just yeah. so that you know this podcast loves you, respects you. And we will fight, we will help and do our part to fight for you. You know, like, man, it's just common sense. Yeah. Don't, f- don't be fucking assholes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now it's 1970. And holy shit, do things get funky? <laughs> <laughs> all over West funky, Coast. Let's get funky. Yeah. Let's get funky. Um, all over the West Coast, in the States, gay activists staged gay-ins and held marches. This evolved, and by 1972, it formally had a name, Gay Liberation Day Parade, which we now call Pride. So this this march and these gay-ins were the stepping stones for us to be able to experience the beauty and wonder that is Pride. Like, we have Toronto Pride. It's massive. Yeah. I think, like, three years ago, we were hosts for the international uh gay pride celebration yep. um i i went it was wonderful it was super fucking hot that day yes it was and it was like a seven hour parade yes but it was so amazing to see so many people come out and just just express their love for yeah. everybody there was no police issues at that time but we're not gonna talk about that <laughs> So Harvey Milk is about seven years away from being the first openly gay politician. He was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Harvey Milk is such a prominent uh, gay activist and politician in our history. Unfortunately, he was assassinated. um, But his legacy went on to empower people to stand up for what they believe in and to be comfortable coming out and be the face of of a community who, who sort of needed... A leader, like needed leadership. Yeah, definitely. Of course. Um, In 1974, this was one of my favorite facts, because as an avid baseball player, like I, I had this conversation. You were an avid baseball player? Oh, I I played 21 years of softball, baby. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. First of all, softball and baseball, two totally different sports. I played fast pitch girls baseball like fast pitch underhand okay with a big ball like it's i know softball is the usually the lobby lobby kind but i don't i fucking Uh, love baseball that's cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. second base and left field yo do 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 anyways (laughs) go jays go uh they created the first gay softball league oh ever and and Later on, they, they allowed female teams and they actually played together, the men's team and the ladies team. And then they did co-op teams. And they also, in, during this time, created the first gay university. It was called Lavender U. 
Nice. Yeah. And they held like a bit, one of the very first LGBTQ film festivals in the United States. So there's a lot of wonderful That's activism awesome. going on and change and, pro- and progressive. Uh, just everything was awesome. Not everything not everything, awesome. but like because it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows. Well, no. Mm-mm. During this be. period, California saw a rise in homicides, averaging about 2,116 murders a year. Although this number is probably skewed because of the increase in population. I just had, oh my gosh, let me tell you about the information on California's homicides. <laughs> I went down another rabbit hole. Yeah, California's got, oh my God. in general, like tons of fucking... Yep. Everything. Serial killers. Yeah. Santa Cruz has the one of the highest per uh, highest per homicides per population. Like they've got ah uh, whatever. That's a per capita one. Is it? That's the okay. highest homicide per capita. And where? In all the states? Uh, in California. Oh, okay. But right. there are, I think there's five places in the States that have the highest amount of concentrated murders. One of them is Florida. One of them is California. <laughs> um, I can't remember the other three. Okay. Um, obviously, this sucks. Any type of homicide really, really yes. sucks. I will say that um, hate crimes against, uh, hate crime homicides against the LGBTQ community was at a, at a very low was at a low, like it was very rare to see it, um, but it was still there. Um, So let me tell you, um, now let's get into the murder. So it's 1974 and on January 27th, the body of Gerald Earl Cavanaugh was found in the waters along Ocean Beach, San Francisco. What would follow would be a string of murders involving gay men swayed by a hotshot cartoonist or caricature artist. That detail in my research wasn't 100% clear. So he was he had said that he was studying in school. What the hell? Listen, if you guys can hear this again, somebody's jackhammering outside on the street, outside of Jenna's apartment. That's just what's never been this loud before. Um, And it's you're interrupting a very important fucking point. (laughs) Jesus Christ! Okay, I'm going to try to get it through this. It's ambient music. So (laughs) and toast. He had stated to one of his surviving victims that he was a student studying art. cartoon art but okay he would tell other people that he was just a caricaturist or just a regular artist um that uh but he lured them with the idea that they would receive a portrait of themselves after their evening together uh today i would like to tell you about the doodler murderer <laughs> yeah he was he was given the name the doodler because of this i like apparently there's a few sketches but police have never released their victims pictures that he he sketched uh yeah uh i don't the the worst serial killer name nickname ever (laughs) so our first victim uh uh gerald i think it's gerald sorry gerald earl cavanaugh was a canadian-born u.s citizen working at a mattress factory in san francisco we don't know much else um there's very little information about his background and his family nobody came forward to claim his body um which is really he was actually considered a john doe for a while until uh dental records came out that of who he was but he worked in a mattress factory the only other things that we know about him was that he was bald, about 220 pounds, Catholic, and never married. 
it's documented that 14 cases in total could be linked to the doodler. On June 25, 1974, Joseph J. Stevens, a well-known female impersonator that frequent the Castro area, the Castro being that very safe haven for yeah. our gay community, uh, was found dead along a Spreckles Lake. Now, Spreckles Lake is in Golden Gate Park, which is fucking beautiful, by the way. If you ever get a chance to go to San Francisco, please go, please go, please go. It is just, it's beautiful. And it's, um, there's this big, uh, there's this big sort of flat, uh, landscape area and it's just north of it it's a little tiny pond like a waiting waiting pool lake almost cool um uh, the police said the victim died shortly before they arrived so he was actually still alive just before police got there which is you fucking <sighs> leave this person to just die is it, either way don't kill people um <laughs> He was only 27, but he was very well known in in this neighborhood as this impersonator. And he gained national attention. And he was, you know, like if you see pictures of him dressed in his uh, characters, he's just got such a warm love and glow to him, like just so much energy and personality. And it's just so sad. Uh, 27. Okay. Klaus Christman's body was found on July 7th, 1974. This time, the killer decided to act more violently. Klaus had considerably more stab wounds than, his previ- than the previous two victims. His throat was actually sliced open, and that's essentially how he died. He was married with kids, um, and found on him was a tube of makeup. This made the police believe that he was a closeted gay oh yeah um after this third murder police concluded that they were all related fun fact though about this investigation uh one of the investigators on this case david toshi was also the investigator in the zodiac killer murders Ooh. uh-huh the community the community's strength grew in the castro and it was so vital to the survival of the gay population in San Francisco. They created almost like a phone tree during this time to try to keep each other safe. Um, bars would know frequenter, frequent, frequent um, patriots, patrons, pa- patrons. Thank you. Not patriots, <laughs> but patrons, uh, patrons yeah. Good and <laughs> some guy killed somebody from the patriots. Yeah. <clears throat> really? What? Yeah, this I didn't was like know a that. few years ago. I actually was wanted to do that as one of my mergers, but I'm like, it's not really artsy. That's okay. Yeah. I think sports are whatever. That's a, that's debatable. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like we talked about this <laughs> the time before too. Anyway, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, patrons. Okay. Yeah. So they. So this phone <laughs> tree helped keep a lot of the the regulars safe. Yeah. Uh, they basically networked the shit out of their safety with each other. They were they really banded together, uh, but the police weren't having any of it. Officers Cornelius Lucy and William Gay, who were um, assigned to these cases, w- wanted to break up this like. Wait. Yeah, I know. His name is William Gay. William Gay. And he's homophobic. Totally. Like a hundred percent. And his last name's gay. He's a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah. So they they wanted to oh, really shit. drive fear that the that they were out to they were looking for this murderer in the most like they they didn't even have proper 
probable cause to be doing what they did. So here's what they would do. They would get into a pickup truck. They would go to Golden Gate Park. They'd drive around looking for a lone man. And when they These spotted... officers? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, I don't know if they were in uniform or not or just looking like civilians, but they would slowly drive up beside a, a, a lone gentleman. Yep. And they would roll down the window and kind of, you know, hey, what's up? And this is, I don't know why this was a, a piece of information in this story. They would stretch themselves out. I'm going to, I'm going to reenact this for Julie. Oh, okay, here we go. This? So I'm driving my car. They would stretch out. Right. And show their bulge in tight Levi's, specifically tight Levi's. That's what this, yeah. So they would like, oh like this is what God. they would do. Like thrust. No, Bowie, 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 you're up. Yeah, so they would. This is, this is what they would do. Jenna's thrusting her pelvic at me. She's showing me her bulge. Yeah, my okay baby bulge. Is this a man and a woman or two it's men? Two guys. All right. Well, like they say, most homophobic men are what? Uncloseted. Gay. Yes. And anyway, right? I, I, it's okay. It, like he had a hard time with his life. Like he just he's got to hate on everybody else because he's hating on himself and not accepting the fact that. Anyway, okay, so if the if the gentleman didn't make an advance, they would drive off. But if the if any man kind of was like, "Oh, okay, I'm game if you're game," they would immediately arrest him. With arrest him why? Because he was gay. Oh, Bowie! <laughs> now Bowie's making the construction noise. Um, yeah, they would just immediately arrest him without any cause, just because they they would claim that. He, this person made it an advance on them as they were driving around in this pickup truck. They would falsify and, it. And Bowie! Well, even, even if he did, why is that illegal? I don't know. Oh, okay. Nothing. There's, there's no fucking reason All for right. it. I, if anything, you should say, thank you. Great. You think I'm attractive. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 the ass backwardness of, the, of this. And okay, so this is, this is where, I mean, even, even the, that first bit, they're, they're horrible people. Yeah. But, but here... This is one, this is just unacceptable. So Lawrence Candler uh, was dragged from his car after a minor traffic incident. So these two guys were at the scene of this. They suspected he was gay. The two officers? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. These fucking dill holes drag him out of his car. He was just in a minor traffic accident. I don't know if he caused it. I don't know if somebody else caused it. Dragged him out of his car and beat him so badly that he had permanent brain damage. These two fuck faces didn't even get arrested. They didn't even get charged because um, Lawrence was so terrified to speak and testify against these guys because he was gay. Yeah. And he didn't want any backlash or any repercussions or to, he, you know, I get it. I do. I like. You get his, his mindset of maybe not wanting to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, these two police officers from their own department should have been held accountable. The, the police department needed to hold these guys accountable. But, I, like, I, what, I mean, they could, they, they could have made up any story, like say that this guy um, was delirious and attacked them or like, you know, well, <clears throat> if they're such assholes, you know, that they'd try to fucking get their way out of it somehow. I mean, my, my theory is that 
the police knew that it was true because in the end, uh, I don't know how many years it was later, um, Lawrence ended up receiving uh, $265,000 from a from a, a, a judge for damages over this incident. Like he was put in the hospital. He had permanent brain damage. He didn't just do it himself. Mm-hmm. It was a minor traffic incident. And that's actually $1.3 million today. Well, but money does not fix. No, it doesn't. So, uh, time passed. Bitch. Yeah, it, it, like it, the like police raids were still happening, but time over time, yeah. uh, you know, time passed. There were no reported murders re- murders related to the doodler. At this time, like there are still fourteen cases that can be connected to him. Not saying that there weren't any murders during this period. Just saying none were at that time connected to the doodler. Right. May 12th, 1975. Frederick Elmer Kappen was found behind a sand dune between uh, Vincenti Street and Ulo Street. His body had been had stab wounds like the other victims, mm-hmm. and the cause of death was reported to be a stab to the aorta. His body had been dragged about 20 feet before it was dumped. He was living in San Francisco while attending school. He was a nurse in the Navy and received a Medal of Honor after saving four men in the Vietnam War. Yeah. The last confirmed doodler victim was Harold Goldberg. He was also the oldest victim. He was about 66. He was found June 4th, 1975 in Lincoln Park. He had been dead for two weeks prior to the discovery prior to the discovery of his body. Police reported maggots and heavy rigor mortis setting in. Um, and in coroner said that it was probably accelerated because he had what was called portal cirrhosis it's a liver disease that basically your liver is killing you it can't cleanse the toxins because your liver is the main is basically like your filter um in your body it helps you know filter toxins yeah. i just fucking said that jenna come on get your shit together <laughs> um, i like that you touched your kidney though while you said liver i thought your kidneys were in, was it were in the back i don't know where <laughs> Well, technically, yeah. I, I just know hip bones connected to the blip, bum, dip, 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 dip. And spleen and then liver is over here. Where's head it? and shoulders, knees and toes, knees, knees and toes, toes, knees and toes, toes head and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes, ears, no. nose and mo- oh, nothing <laughs> mo. <laughs> nothing mo. Was that was just a nothing mo. Yeah. You know what? I used to know that song in French too. Uh, Nay. What's the last one, Jack? Fuck. Uh, I don't remember what yours okay. are. Okay. <laughs> Shit. I'm going to. I wanted to... her to say it. Anyway. It's cute when she speaks French. <laughs> Est-ce que puis-je aller à toilette? Mm, that's a lot of asking. Est-ce que je peux aller à toilette? Oui. Was that right? Oui. Shit. Someone told me the first puis-je. one. Puis-je. You can say puis-je aller à la toilette. Puis-je you're, aller à la toilette? You're asked it twice. twice. One day we'll, we will record this episode in French. Fully French. Yeah. We will. That'd be fun. I'd be so much fun, actually. Okay, <laughs> back to the story. Yep. Um, po- uh, yeah, police reported maggots, blah, blah, blah. Uh, his, so he was found with his pants unzipped, and he wasn't wearing any underpants. All of the other victims actually were clothed. Their uh, money was still on them. Any sort of possessions huh. or valuables were still on them as well. But um, uh, Harold's underwear were actually taken by the serial killer. This last one. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they figured that out. There was no. I would just assume that indication. he wasn't wearing any underwear. That's what I said. That's what I was thinking. But in some of my findings, it was like the killer took 
it as a trophy. And this is the first this is the first time where we hear uh, the doodler taking a trophy Mm -hmm. for himself. Um, Maybe the portrait. Maybe he didn't get a portrait drawn in for this guy. So this is what he needed to take. Don't know. Like. Um, so he would draw a portrait of his victims. That was th- that was the way he lured them he, with oh, the right, right, intent. Right. So, um, San Francisco police said that there were sketches, but they didn't release them. There was a gentleman who's been looking into this case, um, and I'll tell you the name of his website in a moment. He said he actually filed a Freedom of Information Act to try to get these items so that he could see and, and cross reference, but right. they won't. They won't tell him. They won't. Get, he has the right to it, but it can take anywhere from five to ten years for this stuff to show up. Um, uh, he was a he was a Swedish sailor moving from harbor to harbor until he became a U.S. naturalized citizen in August 1955. It was after this this murder, police finally pulled information together from witnesses to create a composite sketch of the and a serial killer profile. The police were the ones who created the profile. No professional psychologist or oh, FBI. Well, that's, you know, I mean, it's 1974, and this is about the time the BSU was being founded. Right. Okay. It was not unknown that there was psychology involved with serial killers, but, but it's not. Still, and I, I would assume. I mean, you still it's pick and choose, and you think of like small towns. Not that this is a small mm-hmm. town. They probably wouldn't do that or the, whatnot. Now you're looking at murders of essentially what we believe is all homosexual men yeah and they are like looked as as lesser they are humans and yeah so why would you call in the fbi for well that's uh yeah okay there's i'm glad glad they're actually finally kind of thinking well okay i guess there's so many dead bodies coming up maybe we should do something about it this is their this is their profile okay let's hear it serious personality upper middle class education which i think is a key thing so he's he's coming from a little bit of a wealthy background yeah above average intelligence art student history of mental illness sexually related so he had sexual ident- identity identification issues um and i'll tell you a little bit in a moment more about that um i couldn't find any more in-depth research on this tidbit but on so this is the website that this gentleman uh was trying to pull information about this case his website is the all.com so it's the awl.com he reported that the doodler was un- undergoing psychiatric care on an outpatient basis and when i looked out i wasn't really sure what the definition in the u.s was of outpatient um what outpatient meant it basically just said someone a patient who willfully walks into and and looks for medical services instead of like fully checking themselves in as in an overnight stay um according the psychiatrist according to the psychiatrist claiming to have worked with the doodler he confessed to them that he committed the murders um sadly this series of events and the information collected wasn't handled appropriately like i've said with the police often dismissing witnesses and survivors who encountered encountered the serial killer not following up on critical information like the doodler's license plate one of the surviving witnesses had taken down oh Mm -hmm. my god Mm -hmm. or the psychiatrist why couldn't a name be obtained? Why couldn't they get a warrant to obtain the name? He would have written it down somewhere. He had to have given uh, address details. And, you know, apparently he was seeing the psychiatrist on a regular basis. Like, I'm going to call it like I see it here. This mistreatment of the witnesses, mishandling of information and evidence in the 
is a, a direct result of police homophobia. I'm not saying all of them, like I stated previously, there are good cops out there, but it was heavily influenced by this homophobia, which yeah. I believe is the direct result of the doodler murders still going unsolved today. <gasps> yeah. So um, it's still unsolved. It's still unsolved. I thought you were going to tell me who it was. No, I'm so, yeah. They have a composite sketch of the guy. He's often called the black doodler because they say that he is an african-american male but he identifies not as bisexual but as straight questioning his sexuality he's unsure um there were three key fucking witnesses one was a very was a a a nationally known entertainer one of them was a prominent political figure and the other one was a san francisco figure none of them wanted to be identified they gave very little information and the police really didn't follow up on that the license plate the fucking composite like the composite sketch there's a you get a clear picture of who this person was there was enough eyewitnesses and surviving witnesses to put together a, a very like I don't want to say detailed, but his facial features are unique. It's not like you're seeing just a a normal blank slate person's face. Like, uh, I feel like... Two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Yes. He's got like something... His eyes are very close to the top of his forehead. Do you see the composite sketch? I have it, and I'll show you, and and, uh, we'll put it on the Instagram page. Somebody will be like, shit, that's my grandfather. I don't know. It's... um, I did see on Wikipedia and it, I couldn't follow up on it to find it factually true. But it, in May 2018, this just this past month, yeah. apparently, I mean, it's still it's been open to this day, but there was n- By the way, not n- this past month. Past, this past yes. Year. Thank you. <laughs> I just I, you said month and I'm like, I, I can't let that go. Um, yeah. Apparently, there's a renewed interest in the case because Ooh. of, I think, all of this new DNA technology that's coming Good. out with uh, the Golden State Killer and other, I don't know specific cases, but this new DNA technology could definitely help. And you know what? I think true crime podcasts and TV shows and things like that, they spark back interest. Like these cases, I I never heard of this Mm -hmm. and I would never know anything about it. And now you're like, okay. And it, it takes, you know, society to be like or one person to be like hey what about this guy what happened here where let's follow up let's go back in our cold cases what, what happened with now? that license plate why yes. can't you go back and, and cross- find out now yes. what the thing was then like i don't know how i mean i don't know what kind of records they keep i know records only certain records that you keep for seven years and then you throw out right so you've got to wonder not the sure. dmv or is it the same thing in the States? <laughs> uh, let's call it the DMV. DMV. Is, do they keep records for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years? I, I want to believe, I want to believe that the police force did... Check? Check. But did, did just my reading, just my readings alone and the mistreatment just makes me question that and doubt it. I don't think they checked. I don't think so either. But I mean, unless they, I guess unless they checked and went nowhere because it was like a somebody's old license plate and it's not registered to anybody and at least they could find out what the make model and color of the car yeah. was to try to look all over the west coast but and, yes. and this is me like always trying to feel like give people the benefit of the doubt yep. but in the 70s on a case of homosexual murders i don't believe that there is any benefit of the doubt like i think that it was just mishandled because of what it was mm-hmm. um but again, like I know that sometimes in police cases, they can't and won't give you all the information to the public because 
they want to get that out of the killer. So if they're, they're interviewing the killer, yeah. you know, they say something and they'll be like, well, no, my car's like, well, your blue car. Like, my car's not blue. It's brown or something like that. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I know. We know it's brown. So it's hard sometimes. And I think sometimes people... Too not in this case because I but I do believe this case was most likely mishandled. Yeah. Um. But it's hard because sometimes you know they they're not saying things on purpose. But well, to that point too, they actually had two sus. They had actually a ton of suspects that they really? were investigating. One in particular, who fit the bill very closely, but this person wouldn't confess to the wouldn't confess to the murders, and they let him go. Um. Mm-hmm. But. And that's as much as said about this one person is that he fit the bill very closely. He was their number one suspect. They had several suspects, but... But it's like, if there's no proof, like, I want to know what they had on him is what I Yeah. Think. You know? That's as much as... that's If anyone knows any... like, typecasting or yes. whatever? Like, well, you can't just arrest someone because you think it's them. Yeah. Right? But then at the same time, it's like... How many times did they have serial killers in their, their grasp and then they just like, well, we have to let them go. But can't you just keep them for one more day? But I know they can't. It's not the law. It's unfortunate. Wow, that, I mean, oops, shoot. That's I have a good story. A, I have a hard time doing unsolved murders because I want justice to be served. Yes. But I but think. that's why you do them. I think that's why I like listening to unsolved and like someone knew something is an amazing fucking podcast done by a Canadian uh, see, I can't remember what his name is. Oh, speaking of names, it was, <laughs> uh, remember last week where I was, I kept saying Robert Kessler, Kessler. Yeah. it's Kissel. Ben Kissel was the last podcast and left guy that Ben Kissel, ben Kissel not Kissler. Anyways, sorry about that, Ben. Uh, you're awesome. Freak out. Le freak, c'est chic. Freak out. Caca. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Cuckoo. All right. Beautiful. I'm going to get my phone ready. All right. Technical difficulties. Sorry about that, but we're just going to. Everything just shut down. Yeah. Everything. So moving on. Okay. Julie's turn. Yay. I am going to do a murder today. And the murder is Susan Cabot, the wasp woman murder. Ooh, I like that name. Got my information from the world's most bizarre murders, Wikipedia, and the Times of Israel. So, born Harriet Shapiro to a Russian Jewish family in Boston, Massachusetts, Cabot led a difficult and shitty early life. She was raised in eight different foster homes. She completed her education in New York City and found a job as an illustrator. She earned extra money by working as a singer and also worked in theater. Cabot appeared in 20 films, acting alongside Hollywood legends such as Humphrey Bogart, no. Charles Branson, and Lee Marvin. That's so cool. I know. Her, and she's beautiful. Yeah? Her films were usually low-budget westerns, in which she was typecast as the smoldering female temptress. Besides having steady work in the movies, she also had regular offers from Broadway, television, and radio, and was under contract with Universal International Pictures. But abruptly, Cabot terminated her contract with Universal and after a brief stint on Broadway, started working with free-spirited director Roger Corman. Under his direction, Cabot Cabot appeared in 
Carnival Rock, 1957. Sorority Girl, again, 1957. This one is the longest title ever. Listen to this one. The Saga of the Viking Women and Their Voyage to the Waters of the Great Serpent, 1957. Oh, my God. Apparently, it was very disappointing. Oh. Sci-fi flick War of Satellite War of the Satellites. This was in 1958. Machine Gun Kelly, 1958. She again. was in she, Machine Gun Kelly. Is that a? I always thought that was a nickname for something. I didn't realize that was a movie title. Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, maybe it. it is. Yeah. No, it. Is, yeah. It's definitely a movie title. Wow. Cool. And, and the last of the horror movies, The Wasp Woman, Ooh. in 1959. Cabot was 40 when she appeared in The Wasp Woman and apparently excelled in what would be her final role and the one she was really remembered for. She played Janice Starlin, a character who tests out rejuvenating beauty products derived from wasp enzymes. They are extracted from royal jelly. These enzymes make her young again, but ultimately, in typical bizarre Corman premise, uh, turn Cabot's character into a lustful, murderous wasp. Bizarre. <laughs> oh, behave. <laughs> um, this was at her peak, really. Uh, and she just uh, quit acting, just like that. Um, soon after, she just pretty much disappeared from public eye. Apart from occasional interviews, nothing was heard about her for 20 years. Oh. Uh, now, she had a son who was named Timothy. And it was, we'll say rumored, which I'll tell more about after, that she had him with King Hussein of Jordan. Okay. Yes. Her love in a nutshell, she married her first husband, Martin Sacker, in 1944 and divorced him in 1951. Cabot was romantically linked to King Hussein of Jordan for several years. She bore her only child, a son, in 1961. And in 1968, she married her second husband, Michael Roman, who, with whom he, she raised her son, Timothy Scott Roman, before again divorcing him in 1983. So hmm. her son, Timothy Scott Roman, took Michael Roman's last name, but he, that he wasn't the father of the okay. son. He, she had him before she met him. So the murder. On, I'm getting right into it. On December 10th, 1986, EMS received a call from Susan Cabot's home on 4601 Charmian Lane. That's how I'm going to say it. The caller who was breathless identified himself as Timothy Cabot. Oh. And he reported the entry of a burglar at the house. So he lived with his mom. Okay. A fire department paramedic unit responded to the call and arrived four minutes later. Timothy was waiting for them. Now, quite calmly outside the front door, he told the two paramedics that he had been attacked and that his mother was in the bedroom and that he believed she was also injured. Now, their house was like primo real estate. It was perched on a top of a hill with the view and the lights of Los Angeles below. Uh, though it did seem a little dilap dilapidated from the outside and shabbier than the other impeccable min maintained properties on the street. Nothing, however could have prepared the paramedics for the chaos that was that was there when they pushed open the door inside garbage bags lay everywhere Ew. in every room newspapers and magazines were stacked in piles that were toppling over or about to along the hallways trash and rotting food was everywhere the house appeared to be ransacked furniture was turned over drawers were open and their contents laid around the house 
It was said that the eeriness was made worse by the sound of Timothy's four pet Attica dogs. Uh, they are usually a docile breed, but these four were losing their shit. And in order to protect the paramedics, Timothy had locked them up in his room. Okay. Yeah. The paramedics got to Susan's room to find her lying dead in her bed, wearing only a V-neck nightgown. There was blood everywhere. A large arc of it was sprayed on the bedroom mirror near the, her bed. There were large splatter stains on the ceiling above her body and more blood stains on the floor in the bed. For some reason, the killer had covered Cabot's face and head with a piece of bed linen before bludgeoning her to death. Under the blood-soaked material... Oh, yeah. Gross. Again, covered her face. Yeah. Who covers faces? Yeah. People that usually are, you know... Jenna's leaving. Jenna, Jenna's up and walking away from me right now. She Let's turn the fan off. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, the fan was picking up. Oh. Okay. Go. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, so under, sorry. under the blood-soaked material, her face was unrecognizable. There were human hairs and brain matter smeared on the linen, and shards and splinters of bone protruded from the back of her shattered skull. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So the blunt force trauma was so fucking brutal that, like... This, like her, the front of her skull or parts of her skull were just jetting out from behind. Like the her, her face, unrecognizable. She was like just smashed apart. Oh like, my god! Yeah, that's a like that's anger. Yeah, that's not just that's anger. Somebody is mad. I would be curious to see what um, blood spatter analysis would come had came back with the amount of pound per force. How much force was used to create such a uh, I don't know yeah like, you know 1986 so yeah so so much we can do there mm. still the 80s people are walking through the crime scenes but that's true yes uh so by now police had arrived and were busy checking all the other rooms for signs of forced entry and to make sure that the intruder wasn't still in the house yeah uh but the dogs were too violent and vicious to be able to check uh, that one room, so Timothy's room, without the help of animal control. The investigators were only able to open it a crack and could see weightlifting equipment and barbells, as well as a poster of Timothy's idol, Bruce Lee. Now, they say there was something unnerving about Timothy with his soft brown eyes and straight chestnut hair. I think alfalfa. <laughs> uh, they thought he was a young teenage boy. But on closer inspection, his face seemed older. Seemed like an adult peering through a young boy's face. Hmm. He also didn't act or talk like a teenager. Timothy was in fact 22. Due to the fact that he was born with a form of dwarfism caused by a defective pituitary gland, he should have stood only four foot tall. But due to an experimental growth hormone, which he had been taking for 15 years, he Holy had grown shit. by almost a foot and a half. Yeah, I'll talk more about that. Later. Yeah, weren't we talking about pituitary shit last week? Too? This is why. Yeah, interesting. Um, he told police what happened. He woke up around 9.30 when he heard his mother being attacked in her bedroom. He had gone into the kitchen where he confronted the burglar. The burglar was a tall Latino man with curly hair and had been dressed like a Japanese ninja warrior. <gasps> oh, that sounds familiar. Like a certain actor. Yakuza? <laughs> no, I was gonna say Bruce Lee. No, no, like, no, yeah, oh, okay. No, but I'm just thinking. What if you were making a joke, and I was not getting it. No, it's back Shoot. to my first. So, 
Whatever. Sagawa. Sagawa. <laughs> okay, but yes, I know. It's like he... Never mind. Anyway. Wow. Now, Timothy was a practicing martial arts enthusiast, but he was no match for this masked intruder who had knocked him out cold. How unfortunate for him. Over the next few hours, the police started having suspicions about Timothy's story. Really? Mm. (laughs) Timothy's statement became increasingly inconsistent. The doubts increased when the paramedics did a once over and looked at his injuries. According to the investigators reports of the investigators reports, sorry, Timothy only had superficial wounds to the arm, torso and head. Paramedics reported to the police, quote, the trauma to his head did not appear serious enough to cause unconsciousness. Unquote. (laughs) Timothy was taken in for questioning by the LAPD at the West Valley Station over the three hour grilling. When asked about his his and his mom's relationship, he responded very close. His Aww. mother and him even talked about everything, including intimate sexual matters. Okay. Moving on. When the questioning <laughs> was over, T- Timothy was... <laughs> oh my God, sorry. When the questioning was over, Timothy was charged with his mother's death. Really? Yeah. He demanded he go home and grab his medication that he needed. By this time, it was early in the morning, and it had taken at least six hours for animal control to get the dogs out. And that's when Timothy led, with no prompting at all, the police to his hamper in his room. Inside the hamper was a box of soap powder, and in the box was a bloody barbell and a scalpel. His fingerprints were on one end of the barbell, and his mother's blood was on the other. Timothy said that he had hidden the barbell because he was sure no one would have believed his story. And nobody did. No. There was all the forensic ev- evidence against him, and his story didn't make any sense. A straightforward matter of, for the prosecution. But May 1989, when he stood trial, Timothy's legal defense team put in a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity because their client was a human experiment gone wrong. Okay. So, holy shit, he's not fucking Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster. Okay, okay. So the experiment they speak of began in 1958, so before he was actually born. Um, And Timothy, once he was born, because he qualified, would be one of many test subjects. As a possible cure for dwarfism, the National Institute of Health had started to offer a supply of cadaver-derived pituitary free of charge to children diagnosed with growth hormone deficiency, or GHD, not BD. Uh, The batch of hormones have been extracted from the pituitary glands of around 80,000 dead human bodies. An experiment that lasted eight years and around 700 children with GHD received the treatment. Timothy, who had been diagnosed with pituitary dwarfism as a child, was one of them and had been taking injections since he was six years old. But this magical wonder cure would lead to some tragic results. Yeah. Due to a contaminated batch (gasps) of growth hormones, the supply had been infected with a fatal neurological illness. Uh, Over the years, an unusually high percentage of test subjects developed, I could try to say this, Crocenfeldt-Jakob disease, 
or how we know it, mad cow disease. No. Yes. And the incubation Sorry. period for CJD is the abbreviation of that one, is in some cases 20 years. Shut up. Yeah. So there's no way, and there's no way of diagnosing Ouch, it. Ouch, that's like... There's no way of knowing if Tim had it or yeah. will have it or could have it. Fuck. Yeah. His lawyers use this as a cornerstone in his defense. Uh, they say his mother had warped his poor, fragile mind by bombing it for decades with potent chemicals harvested from the genetic material of hundreds of thousands of dead bodies. Oh. So it was a perfect puzzle for this said insanity plea because the psychological symptoms of CJD include extreme changes in personality. Dement- Holy shit, it scared me. Was that the construction? Yeah. Son of a bitch. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, personality changes, dementia, the loss of the ability to think clearly, and uh, memory loss. <laughs> also, it was said that Susan Cabot wrongly believed that this treatment would help her look younger. No. She had been helping herself to her son's drugs for years too. She had the frequent injections uh, so had the frequent injections affected Susan's mental stability as well? Had she become deranged and attacked Timothy? And if so, had it had he simply acted in self-defense? This was another twist that uh, to the death of Susan. It also linked to her last movie, by the way, The Wasp Woman. Oh! A character who had taken experimental anti-aging drugs mm-hmm. only to become a craze killer. Anyway, uh, Timothy's lawyers were busy dragging Susan's name through the mud, saying she was unable to cope with her loss of fame. She had... Uh, she was a faded Hollywood has-been who had shut herself up and away from the light of Hollywood and slowly driven both herself and her son insane. It was straight out of the movies. Right. The reclusive, unhappy existence that Timothy and his mother shared for 11 years on that, uh, on Charmian Lane, I hope I'm saying that right, Charmian Lane, was being compared in the press to the one of Billy Wilder's most famous movies in Sunset Boulevard. Gloria Swanson plays Norma Desmond, a once famous Hollywood silent movie star who dreams of the day when she came, when she can make her long-awaited comeback by the end of the... Sorry, I'm distracted by the dog. (laughs) Bowie, sit. Bowie, sit. Sit. All right. So she can make her long-awaited comeback. So by the end of the movie, however, it was clear that Desmond is a dangerous, delusional psychopath. So it's just interesting that they they keep linking you know things to movies yeah so in reality little is known to what happened to the in the cabot's house or the kind of life timothy had to endure under his mother's roof uh one of the very few people to actually be invited into susan's home and interview her before she died was a famous film historian tom weaver he was a fan of her work and visited her home on several occasions up to her death in 1986 Tom Weaver specialized in the history of B-movie and low-budget horror movies and is the author of books like Attack of the Monster Movie Makers and science fiction and fantasy film flashbacks. So he says, It was on my first trip to California around 1984. By the way, he doesn't talk like this. I'm just making this up. That I first met Susan, who had been or near the top of my find an interview list almost since the day one. Uh, He wrote this in a recent article on Susan Cabot. I not only thought she was a knockout look-wise in the movies like Wasp Woman and Machine Gun Kelly and others, but acting-wise too, I... 
It, it frustrated me that no one knew where she ended up. Roger Corman told me wrongly that she was living happily in Washington, D.C. That bum steer was the closest thing I had to a lead. And I, I was bowled over when uh, on my first trip to California, Laurie, Revenge of the Creatures, Nelson, mentioned casually that she had seen Susan the other day at some sort of a reunion of Universal Picture veterans. To make a long story short, my brother John and I were soon very friendly with Susan. <laughs> the fun of knowing her, only slightly spoiled by her aggressively oddball son, Tim. That kid was pleasant, but uh, strange. He struck me as looking like about 12 years old, like facially and height-wise, but he was obviously much older because he had his own car. Too often did he, he did these, these little things that would drive my, his mom nuts, like wearing sunglasses when we'd go out at night. Intro to Corey Hart's song right here. <laughs> and clamming up and ignoring her requests when she'd take them off, refusing to watch some of her movies, even though she would beg, or practically beg him to. Things that seemed to me to be designed to get her worked up. A swift, swift kick in the ass would have solved a lot of problems with Tim. I always thought, but being a starstruck 20-something kid from upstate New York, getting to visit a various visit on various trips with one of my favorite B-movie stars, it certainly wasn't my place to say so. Susan's house uh, was also strange. A, a mini mansion, walled and gated, included a kennel full of vicious-sounding dogs and a lot fancier than you'd think a single mom whose long-ago credits were mostly B-movies could afford. There were rumors that back in the day, she and King Hussein was an item. When I'd bring it up, well, she was the one who did the clamming up. Eventually, I began to think that that's where the money was apparently still coming from. Inside, it got weirder. The place was a wreck, and apparently always had been. There was junk piled everywhere, to the point that finding a place where three or four people could sit down was a major project involving lots of moving of stacks of junk. The dust was piled almost as high as the junk. I still remember picking up a chessman from the dust-covered chessboard, practically in the middle of the room, uncovering a round, perfectly clean spot in the deep dust that indicated that the board had been set up many years before. There, in the middle of the room, and never once touched. I, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think to say, <laughs> thriller episode. That's an American series of the short horror movies that aired in 1960s, where unsuspected folks ventured into a creepy old mansion unoccupied for decades. I was once with Susan when she needed something out of the trunk of her car. She unlocked and lifted the trunk hatch, but looking at the car, it was as if nothing had been open. Clothes were crammed so tightly into the trunk that they had held the shape of the underside of the trunk hatch. So that just goes to show, like, kind of the inside of her house. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person who, was, who had been allowed to go into the house was Timothy's tutor, who was called as a witness in his trial. She stated that his mother frequently screamed at her son, apparently for no reason. The image of an overbearing, hysterical mother whose mental deterioration whose mental deterioration was rapidly spinning out of control, was further told in the testimony by Cabot's long-term psychologist, Carl Faber. Now, he says his patient had spent time in 14 separate foster homes where she had been sexually abused. And as an adult, uh, she had been plagued by bouts of irrational terror and despair and had talked about suicide 
even on the very day that she was murdered. Wow. Although she was well off, Cabot still lived in constant fear that she would lose her home uh, for lack of money. And she had learned not long ago that her son could have contract contracted CJD or Mad Cow. Mm, okay. And she told, she said that her son, she told her psychologist many times, he was the only reason she kept on living. So according to pediatric reports presented as evidence for the defense, Susan Cabot's degenerating mental illness had already taken its toll on Timothy by the time he was 11, 11 years old. The report describes Cabot as overdramatic and overprotective and Timothy as emotionally immature and disturbed. But the state of disrepair of the house was perhaps the most shocking indicator as to just... I keep hearing the jackhammer. Oh my god, it's I'm so, so distracting. I'm um, sorry. The state of despair of the house was perhaps the most shocking indicator as to just how mentally imbalanced Susan was. And film footage of the house was shown in court. Okay. So in September, Timothy changed his plea from not guilty for reason of insanity to not guilty. He okay. took the stand on October 6th, 1989. There, he quickly broke into tears and recalled that his mother, moments before her death, had started screaming at him and seemed to have had no idea who he was. Fearful of her worsening state, he had tried to call paramedics, at which point she had attacked him with a barbell. Timothy had taken the barbell off of her, but she had come at him again, and this time with a scalpel. Timothy, in self-defense, had beaten her to death. This is when you say something. Oh, she's, yeah. She, Jenna's taking selfies right now, so she can't, she can't take selfies and listen to the story at the same time. I took a picture of you. <laughs> no! I don't did. do that. I did. And I was just joking. So the barbell, he was trying to testify that he was using it in self-defense. Yeah, so he just changed his plea. Like, so instead I'm, of it I'm being just joking, this... didn't have to say anything. I was just Well, no, but... No, I, I agree. I should have been paying attention <laughs> instead of being vapid and wanting to show myself off to the world. Um, so he... So let me catch myself up here. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm caught up, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm caught up. I got this. The Latino man, he says... Yes, that the Latino gone. Bruce Lee that he said. That guy's gone now. He's, so, he's been gone two confessions ago. Okay, so oh my god. So Holy. then he then he admitted to doing it, but right. he said he was crazy because he had all Pled the insanity. Yeah, because he had this pituitary C- issue thingy yeah. with mad cow disease. Yeah, and and then, now he's just completely because he, he needs to take the stand. So he has to be he cannot he has to be of sound mind to take the stand. Yeah. So now he's taken away the insanity plea Ugh. and just the not guilty plea like that she was the one who's a complete psycho okay this is interesting because with the michael peterson case yeah. how his lawyers say you're not taking the stand you cannot take the stand yes. i'm so curious as to why defense lawyers make that make decide to make that decision of okay you do now need to go on the stand what like I, i'm curious to know like what the pros and cons of i know because usually they don't want you to take mm-hmm. the stand because you can I guess, but the difference is Michael Peterson did not, quote, kill his wife. Right. He, Timothy, is saying he did kill he's, his mother. But he's pleading not guilty reason because of, of insanity. No, he's not guilty because he did it out of self-defense. So he didn't kill his mother right, right, because right. he wanted Sorry. to. Got that, ask, just, got that backwards. Yeah. He's just pleading not guilty because it was self-defense. So that's why I think he would have to do it because he, he did do it. He, he could tell, he can say all he did, but right. So on October 10th, 1989, Judge Darlene E. 
Scamp. Shrimp. I love the way that your mouth moved as you were saying that. (laughs) I don't know how to say this, but we're going to say it's scamp. And no, I don't need to be corrected. Some things I can be, but this I don't care. Um, Announced her decision. She could see no evidence of malice or predetermination, uh, premeditation. (laughs) Well, that determination too. Premeditation. She found Timothy guilty of involuntary manslaughter, a sentence that carried six years in jail. He had already spent two and a half years in jail awaiting trial, so he was given just three years probation. The judge concluded in her her summation by saying that there was no doubt in her mind that he had, quote, loved his mother very much, unquote. During the trial, the press described Timothy as a lost, pitiful-looking little boy, but he wasn't. He wasn't a child who... It wasn't a child who caved his mother's skull in, which left the walls and ceilings covered in blood. The house became his, recalled Tom Weaver. I later heard that it was uh, sometimes used for filming and that one group of movie makers, without even knowing about the house's history of murder, became so creeped out by the atmosphere of the place that at least one of them, a woman, wanted to flee. A few years ago, uh, I started getting occasional emails from a complete stranger, a Cabot family friend, who said that Tim was hospitalized and suffering from some weird irreversible disease that was slowly making his brain disappear within his skull. So according to Weaver, the emails abruptly stopped and in... Abruptly stop, and nothing at all is known about the fate of Susan Cabot's son, or where he is now. Oh. Yes, and I tried looking, and... Meanwhile, the house on Charmian Lane has since been demolished, and in its place stands a newer, more luxurious property, more in keeping with the other elegant houses on the street. And it's haunted. It's gotta be. What really happened that night over 20 years ago remains a mystery. Ooh. Yes, yes. So I lo- tried looking up um, Timothy. Also, can, can we make a link with passions right now? Yes. And Timothy. Uh-huh. The moment I, I read this and we were just talking about Timothy. We were, we were just talking about. when I read Timothy and then he saw, I was like, Whoa. The dwarfism. Like the, yeah. That's, anyway. If anybody is a big fan of that amazing soap opera. The amazing, horrible soap horrible, opera. Horrible, so bad. It was so bad. It was. We were just talking about it. And yeah. then I was reading this murder and then she had a, a child named Timothy who suffered from dwarfism. I thought, what are the chances? His name's Timothy. Yeah. Anyway, there is a person who is called Timothy Scott Roman, the exact same name as him, who was born in 1961, not 1963, who had passed away. So I was reading his obituary thinking, is this him? Mm-hmm. And then I read and I think this poor man whose obituary is probably getting read. No, it's not him. Okay. It's from, but we are I, clearing the airways. I was, I was wondering because I mean, you, you can't tell by the pictures anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, so that's the end of the story, but this is a little bo- bonus note. For oh, you. okay. For me. Well, for mm. everybody. Okay. You get to share. Bonus note. We'll this share. This is the title of this article. CIA set up King Hussein and Jewish actress with fatal result. Oh my God. So this is now. Conspiracy shit. No. Oh. You just wait. This is legit, yo. Legit facts right now. Um, okay. Not about her murder. Well, you'll see. Uh, Yeah. So the tale was revealed by declassified documents about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So a bunch of stuff came out. Yeah. What? According. I know this runs deep, man. According to the CIA memo, among 
more than 35,000 records released by the National Archives, female companionship was to be found for the monarch, referred to as the foreign head of state, during his April 1959 visit to Los Angeles when he was 23 years old. So the foreign official was especially desirous of female companionship during his Los Angeles visit. And it was requested that appropriate arrangement be made through a controlled source of the office, CIA's security office, mm-hmm. in order to assure a satisfied visit. Oh, my God. The anonymously written memo, that's what it said, according to the report in USA Today. Okay? Actress, actress Susan Cabot met Hussein not by accident, at a party on April 9th, 1959, according to the LA Times report, and made enough of an impression for the, for the young king to ask her to spend time with, with him while he was in New York. Wow. To facilitate the continuation of this trist, is that how you say that? Trist? Trist. Trist. trist sorry. Trist. I love that word, but I read it. I don't usually say it. Um, the CIA rented a Long Beach, Long Island house for Hussein and signed Cabot into a New York hotel under an assumed name. News reported uh, about the relationship and if the fact that the that she was a Jewish uh, woman would cause a problem for the Muslim monarch. Okay. Cabot described Hussein as the most charming man I've ever met. <laughs> during, during the trial on Timothy later... His defense lawyer produced evidence showing that Cabot received a regular sum of $1,500 <gasps> a month from the keeper of the king's purse, Imam Jordan. Wow. So child support. So that is how she kind of kept that house because oh she gosh. didn't have any money. So, yeah. That's crazy how all of that kind of came out of the JFK files. So Yeah, that's, that's right. Oh and they're God. saying the CIA set her up because they, they said, well, you should you know set set you up with this dude and if she hadn't had the affair with him yeah. she would never had timothy and if she didn't have timothy she would still be alive she wouldn't have had the pituitary gland dead people juices yep and <laughs> sorry um, what the, the dead man juices <laughs> it's some dead man juices but do do fix in that pituitary gland pituitary gland uh wow i i'm really curious now to watch wasp woman Oh, yes. I kind of, yeah. I uh, I saw just like little clips from the movie. Not clips. I didn't see clips. Like just the posters, which yeah. I post on Instagram. They're so funny. The top of the, like the main poster is like a drawn. I mean, you got to think this was 1959. Those old 50, vintage, vintage like horror posters. It was like a drawn wasp. And they like superimposed her picture, which, they, you know, they just cut that picture out. Of papering like glued it on probably and just printed that it's amazing um that's okay that another home run hit for your stories yet again that was great thank you holy shit and it's interesting because you don't really i mean he definitely did it but then, yeah. then you think like did she go crazy i mean she was obviously a hoarder but as a hoarder like something triggered it in him yeah. And if she was taking the same drug as he was, and he was acting the same way, aggressively, violently, uncharacteristically, I think it's I mean, clear evidence that, evidence that it might have been exacerbated by... The, we don't theor- know. Theoretically. Theoretically. Or she could have been totally sane, just... Well, not totally sane. She's still a hoarder. Yeah. Um, that That's is, gross, by the way. If you're a hoarder, 
go seek help. Yes. You need to please. get help and it's fine. Just ask for help. Yep. Um, but it's no way to live. No. But hoarders often don't think that they have a they problem. Don't. Um, I hated watching those shows on uh, TLC. I hate it, but I love it. But yeah, made me really true. uncomfortable and feel cla- I don't. I rarely feel claustrophobic, but watching those shows oh, made me feel so claustrophobic. claustrophobic. Yeah. But, um, oh, that's amazing. Yes, it was. It was interesting. It was an that's, interesting read. That's crazy. And it brought me to other websites that I had to save for future references. That is my favorite thing like, about ooh. research. Last week we talked about it. Let's talk about it this week. Can we please just do this full time? Because the <laughs> rabbit hole you go down could, I honestly, if I had more time, I would go, here's my main story I'm going to do for this week. Oh my God, look at this tidbit. Yes. Follow it up. I'm going to do the thing that I found down I this know. rabbit hole next week. And I feel like bring I'm, it all back I, around. I feel like I'm, I'm stunted. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I know. You feel, you feel, uh, uh, held back? Yes, like, uh, yeah, because there's so much things that I have to do and I hate that. I hate that feeling where I, I feel guilty researching something else that I, I'm like, no, I gotta focus and yeah. hone in on what I'm doing. Um, but I did get to save some of the websites and I'm like, oh, interesting. I wonder what some, like, sometimes I don't know how much information there is on some. Mm-hmm. One of them I couldn't believe. I kind of want to tell you, but then if there's you good know information. Let's save it. I think maybe okay. we'll, I'll see. Sa- we'll I'll save see. it. And if there's not yeah. a good story written up about this one, I'll just tell you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, that was what a, an, another knockout. I can't believe we made it in time, too. Yeah. Uh, perfect timing. Uh, sorry about the noise. Yeah. So mad about... Th- I'm No, I'm, per- I'm frustrated by it. That's right. Yes. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Because it could be worse. Could, could be worse. Be worse. Stay positive, friends. Be nice to each other, too, by the way. I think, if anything, this episode is all about kindness and togetherness and just just being cool. Be chill. Don't take drugs that aren't factually based. And Don't be part of a medical study. Yeah. Well, no, I uh, guess you can be. Cause... I think nowadays it's okay because... Uh, did you hear about those three monkeys? The, uh... <gasps> no. Macabs, is that how we say it? I could be saying that wrong. Uh, in Canada, for the first time ever, there's three lab monkeys that have been released to a sanctuary up no. in by, um, oh my God, Simcoe Lake. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. Shoot. Simcoe Lake is a place. No, no, I know, I know it is, but I'm trying to think. I, I'm pretty sure it's close to Simcoe Lake. It's one of the only monkey sanctuaries that, that that's in Canada or Ontario. Do the IKEA monkey go there? Remember, do you remember the mic? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> but reading this article on the monkeys was really long. I cried. I was Aww. happy that I knew that, like, but it's just about how horrible, like, certain test facilities yes. are. And then it's, it's that in between, because genetically, you can cut all this out, too. Genetically, like, they're the closest to us, so then they give them disease and then try to fix yeah. it. So, like, I understand that part of it. But then one girl who was in the state somewhere i think massachusetts massachusetts i think now i can't remember it was a long article and she went to university and she was like she wanted to do like that i want a biologist or whatever i don't think that was her title but whatever a biologist i think is someone who studies like a body of some sort it can be human it can be animal there's a zoologist also and like she does like yeah stuff to cure things or whatever anyway there's like two thousand monkeys there and she eventually was saying like she understands the importance of having to test on on monkeys and things like that yeah but that they 
essentially like abuse the system yeah where, like, they would get the monkeys drunk and see you know what they can do or whatnot like tests that didn't need to be done oh and, okay and um i'm sorry you can get an adult a human willingly to get drunk for you if you want uh yep and uh and also the treatment of the monkeys as well uh, so eventually they, they, you know, started getting suspicious and like, are you part of an activist group? And she's like, no, she's just raising a point. Yeah. Eventually she wasn't allowed to work in the lab alone. <gasps> eventually she didn't get the keys to the weekend. What? Like on the weekend and eventually was asked to leave. Yeah. yeah. Because she raised a point. And that's the thing. Like if you're, if you're raising a point, then they're thinking you're an extremist. Like, oh, you can't test on animals. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never do it. There was parts of that story that I just bawled my eyes out from the visual that certain people, like certain people that are pro all this, mm-hmm. but they're saying there's certain things that I just can't watch. And yeah. they, they have like different degrees. Like one is like the animal probably has no idea he's, he's being tested. Two is like some slight discomfort and illness. Three is like extreme, extreme pain, like beyond anything. Yeah. And that just fucking just, I can't. When you go, when you go two or three, it's no bueno. Um, and Radio Labs does many uh, episodes about testing on animals and the positive side of it i don't i just i I do think that there is a lot of negative and a lot of negativity and a lot of harm and abuse towards animals when we do test them that needs to stop yes it's important and a lot of stuff doesn't need to be tested on animals correct canada is just passing a law i don't know when just heard it about um, it's, they're going to make it illegal to test on animals, I think, for, like, makeup products and beauty oh, good. products. That's good. Like, that, at this point, doesn't need to happen. Mm-mm. Do you know how many willing humans will, te- will let you test on them? Not only that, we have such an extensive index of yes. ingredients that yes. we know cause cancer. Yes. By the way, <laughs> I lost your lip, lip gloss that you gave me, and I had to start using my sun bum again because my lips are so trapped. Uh-oh. I know. I'm like, I hate it, but I'll figure something out. Thought that'd be an interesting thing to tell you. Forgot to tell you that. Um, but um, we already know what we know. The products that we're putting in our beauty supplies, hair, skincare, we know what's bad. We know what's good. We should be. We should be supporting companies that use good, clean products. Yeah. No sulfates. No parabens. Yeah. No fragrance. Don't use sulfa if you buy, especially for people who dye their hair. Take it. Take it from an expert who dyes their hair monthly. Mm-hmm. don't use sulfites in your fucking shampoo and conditioner. It ruins your hair. And support local yes. artisans. Please do. And and I, th- yeah, please do. Um, so, a couple things. Uh, not a couple things. Uh, if you guys want to send us an email or, you know, correct us on a few things, um, be nice about it, by the way. We may or may not give a shit. <laughs> but, um, Follow us or email us at artofmurderpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. Um, the Art of Murder. Thank you. And you can find us on Facebook. Just Google The Art of Murder. Podbean. It's uh, theartofmurder.podbean.com. You've, you're probably listening to this, so I don't this even need... This is the only way they can listen right now. <laughs> right now. Absolutely. Hopefully, whatever. Okay. Well, Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, good. We'll see you guys. Great story, Jenna. Yeah, great story. It. You too, Julie. No, you. No, you. No, you. No, you. No, you. All right. I think Both with us. Ambient, Ambient toast. toast.
That was awesome. That was good. Did you like my accent? I did. I can't. You know what? I'm gonna put some like sexy 1920s music behind it, and it's you're gonna sound like you're right out of the 1930s golden era of Hollywood, girlfriend. Should have sounded more like that.